0: It's not about me I'm only here for a
1: minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our Lads and Powers. This is is Scott Powers with Mark Lazarus, both of The Athletic uh we're here on a wonderful uh uh, sunday afternoon um another week where we've been uh, quarantined from each other and uh and uh unlike last week we actually have something well i guess we had something to talk about last week we talked about the whole virus but now uh, i feel like we have a little bit more news to talk about so uh mark hello
2: I'm here, man. I, I I'm surprised you said it was Sunday afternoon because I have lost all track of time <laughs> and space. And uh, time is a flat circle right now, and I have no idea where or who or when I am. Uh, well,
1: you're here now with me, so that's all that really matters.
2: All right, that's good. You're my you're my constant. Uh, I like in lost. <laughs> you're my oh. penny.
1: Yes. You uh, you guys getting
2: by? You doing all right? Yeah, you know, we're bored. Uh, we, I, 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 I broke down. I figured with all the money I'm saving on gas by not driving literally anywhere. Um, I bought a Nintendo <laughs> Switch. So the kids are playing Mario Kart, um, which is pretty cool because it has like a, a feature that even if you're terrible at it, makes you pretty good, which is great for the four-year-old. She's not screaming and crying while playing. So, uh, so far, so good. Nice. Are you any good? Uh, I'm 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 not bad. I keep going back to playing Doctor Mario from the NES days, and uh, it's been like 25 years since I played it, and I am still amazing at it. If Doctor <laughs> Mario could address coronavirus, I would save the world. I don't think I've ever played that. Oh, it's like Tetris, but way better because it like you know you have to think a few moves ahead, and oh, it's it's so much fun, and it's just makes your eyes bleed after a while.
1: I actually downloaded yesterday a learn to play chess app, so I've uh, I've started doing
2: that. I've been taking Spanish on Duolingo. I've been, uh, I've been doing a, a lot of that every day, just kind of refreshing my Spanish because I got literally nothing else to do. Nice.
1: I, I had an email in my uh, in my box that yeah, I learned uh, learn Irish while I'm uh, while during the break. So
2: I keep getting ads if, that uh, says more more people speak Irish from Duolingo than there are native Irish speakers. You could be one of yeah.
1: Them. That's probably true. Um, this it's, podcast it's so not brought there. to
2: you by Duolingo.
1: <laughs> there's one channel in Ireland that's uh, all all Irish but uh and and there's a few communities uh, that's Yeah, who speak speaks Irish? Things. Nobody speaks Irish. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very small small population. <laughs> uh they, they they still teach it in schools and such, but it's it's, Do it's they? rarely used uh outside of those small small community so
2: um you know what you know hang on a second there's no hockey going on before we get into hockey i want to know what when where did your irish i don't want to use the word obsession because that diminishes it but where does your i, I mean i mean are you just like 100 percent irish to the point where irish music and irish bars and irish everything else just means that much to you no i,
1: I actually don't know I'm, I'm afraid to take one of those blood tests because i, I I'd probably find <laughs> out i'm less irish than, I, than i'd like to be i i had a uh, a friend uh moved from Dublin to Chicago when he was when he was like in fourth or fifth grade or so and uh his dad would drive around and play Irish pub songs and uh, (laughs) I got introduced to yeah a bunch of Irish things and then uh in in high school all the kids I hung out with uh you know a lot lot of Ash kids and kids from uh Edgebrook and stuff uh you know a lot of them were into Irish into the Pogues and uh and Black 47 and uh, a lot of bands like that. And we'd go to the, uh, you know, go to the Gaelic Park Fest and then go to the Heritage Center. And then, um, yeah, I just, I fell in love with whiskey. Or not whiskey, but uh, Guinness. and then, <laughs> In fifth grade, uh, I fell in love with whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It kind of evolved. And, I, and then I got really interested in Irish history and went to Ireland. And, you know, I've, we got married in Ireland. And yeah, it's it's, it's evolved over time where I, I certainly, it's not just the, the drink and the music where I, it's the... Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of everything. But, yeah, it's kind of stuck with me. And, you know, I, I used to write a, write a column for the Irish American News called Sharing a Pint where I'd try to sit down with uh, notable people in the Irish community, have a pint and write a column and uh, wrote that for free for about five or six years. And <laughs> even when I got laid off from ESPN, I, I went back and wrote it a few times. And um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of evolved. But it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I guess it all stems from that uh, meeting Meeting my friend uh, Graham Brennan back in uh, in grade school, and, and his dad driving around, and um, yeah, having Irish music playing. So,
2: well, there I learned something today. This podcast was yeah. useful after all.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but
1: uh, yeah, so there's that. So so, so to the hockey. Um, Rocky Words had uh, had talked to a few people, um, a few different outlets, and, and and he sort of you know sort of expressed uh I, I know at least on the podcast with uh, NBC Sports Chicago he he, he you know he it was, seemed like he was leaning towards bringing everyone back and, and and that was positive and he was uh encouraging it you know where the direction was going and then when I talked to him um last week uh you know I asked him you know just dead on if uh if if everyone was returning and he said John McDonough and uh Stan and, and Jeremy Carlton were returning and that he had confidence in the, confidence in them and um, you know, I, I don't think I, I. You know, the John McDonough stuff really wasn't uh, surprising. You know, I, I think John McDonough's job is pretty safe, but um, I think everyone was more interested in uh, you know Stan Bowman and, and Jeremy Colleton. and uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a surprise to us considering everything we've been hearing. But uh, it's uh, it's out there now and
2: official. So, uh, what do you make of it? Um, I'm not surprised. I mean, this is, you know, the the Blackhawks move at a different pace than I think most franchises do. I think most, you look around the NHL and coaches are a dime a dozen and GMs are, you know, a dime a dozen and you're, you, you go through things pretty quickly. The Blackhawks, like, they pride themselves on their their consistency, their constancy in that front office. John McDonough talks about it a lot. He's, they, they loyal, they're they loyal to their employees, and they're playing a long game here. And I know that they're all frustrated. I know the fans are frustrated, and everybody should be frustrated. Things are bad. This is the third straight year they're going to miss the playoffs. It's five straight years without a playoff win. It's unacceptable. Um, so I understand where the the angst for, for – the, the desire for change comes from. And if they made changes, I don't think any of us would bat an eyelash at it. But it's just not the way the Blackhawks do business. They're not going to just dump Stan Bowman on the side of the road. It's not how they work. This is a guy who helped bring three cups, uh, two of them. He had his fingerprints all over. And um, you see that with even things like the Brent Seabrook contract. There's loyalty beyond the usual length of time that a lot of teams do this. Um, And like it or not, that's the Chicago way. They, They like being known for the consistency they have there's been so little change in this organization beyond the roster itself you look at the front office and when was the last time there was a major shake-up in the in the front office I mean back when chevel day off in Bergevin got new jobs I mean it's it's incredible the consistency they have yeah and
1: I think that's where it, you know I, I know a lot of fans are frustrated with John McDonough now and Uh, I think when the Blackhawks are struggling, all of a sudden people are pointing to him being a baseball guy again. And and I'm not sure all that's fair at this point. The Blackhawks have won plenty with John McDonough making decisions. I I think where it starts falling at John McDonough's feet now is they've, they're obviously standing behind Stan Bowman and, um, and they've come out and said they, at one point, they thought it was the coaching. Um, I think it's proven that so far it wasn't Joel Quinville. Um, I don't think this is necessarily Jeremy Colleton's fault either. Um, you know whatever reasons and and I know John you know rocky words had said that he felt like it was uh, you know mostly where they've drafted And you know, this was sort of the price you pay for winning winning that many cups and you know dealing with uh, the realities of drafting later and, and the cap and all that but um, I, I think where this falls on on Rocky and, and, and John McDonough is that now that you've stood behind these people for for many years, and there's sort of the sample size where it hasn't been successful. That if it doesn't become successful here in the next few years, that's this this is sort of now you're doing, not so much Stan Bowman's doing, because uh, you've continued to empower him. So I, I think that's where the, it'll start to transition. Where you know I'm sure people are going to be upset at Stan Bowman if they continue not to win, but at some point it's it's on the people who continue to have these people. Uh, in place and, and in power and, and, you know, kind of going down that same road because there hasn't been a whole lot of change in hockey operations or the front office where um sure the message is, is changed slightly and, um, and they've done some different things, but there hasn't been a whole lot of change in personnel where you're saying that they're shifting, um, shifting how they do analytics or shifting, how they do pro scouting or anything. Everything seems to be pretty similar um, at least from what we see and know. And, and certainly from who they're hiring, so I I think that's where I'm curious if the, if this doesn't turn around, like what becomes? Um, that I think that gets louder that people are more upset with Rocky and John McDonough than they are now. Where you're starting to hear that a little bit, but you know a lot of the focus has been on Stan Bowen and Jerry Colleton, Jeremy Colleton. But I, I think that changes over time if this thing doesn't you know spin around.
2: Well, there's a flip side to that, and someone mentioned this on Twitter, and I and forgive me, I don't remember who it was. Whoever said this, but. You know, John McDonough is not the hockey guy. That's not his job. If you're Rocky Wirtz, John McDonough is the guy who's supposed to make your business profitable. That's John McDonough's job. And they're still selling out 21,000 tickets a night. They're still making gobs of money. There's the 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 advert the the, uh, the 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 publicity is 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 high end. Everyone knows who the Blackhawks are. Everyone buys jerseys still. Everyone buys merchandise still, and everyone's still buying tickets and filling those parking lots. So from that perspective, it's insanity. For Rocky Wertz to remove John McDonough because that's his primary job. He's the president of the team. He is not the president of hockey operations. He's not Brendan Shanahan. That's not what his job is. His job is to run the franchise and the franchise makes a shit ton of money. So he's doing his job very well. And I think from Rocky Wertz's perspective, you have to look at it that way. Um, well, does does it fall on Al McIsaac then who like, who's that buffer in between? Well, that's what there, there isn't really, I I mean, Al McIsaac is certainly more involved in hockey operations than John McDonough is without question, but I don't think the the, the Hawks don't really have one. I floated this in my column. I floated this a few years ago after the, uh, the predator sweep too, that maybe the Hawks, you know, Stan Bowman does a lot of things really well. He's a great, legitimately great evaluator of talent. You know They're drafting, and, and a lot of that goes to Mark Kelly, and a lot of that goes to the European Scouting Department. But Stan's the one making the ultimate call here, and he's the one doing the recruiting, the you know sealing the deal for these European recruits and, and, and selling them on Chicago. He does that really, really well. He brings value in that regard. If you're worried about his roster construction, you can bring in a president of hockey operations, a Brendan Shanahan type, someone who can veto him, someone who can step in and oversee and not necessarily do the day-to-day, but when there's a big trade to be made he gets the final say. Maybe that's the kind of shakeup you need, where you can keep Stan Acu- Stan, Stan Bowman and his acumen and judging talent, and, and bringing in European talent and things like that, and his cat management, you know, for better or worse. But you also have another voice in there because they really don't have that. John McDonough is not a hot. It's dumb when people say he's a baseball guy. That's not his job. His job is not to run the Chicago Blackhawks hockey team. His job is to run the Chicago Blackhawks business, and he's doing really well at that. So Rocky's not going to fire him. And granted, it's McDonough's call whether Stan Bowman is running things or not, so that does fall at his feet. But if you really want another hockey voice in there, you need to create a position like President of Hockey Operations to oversee Stan Bowman, and maybe that's the solution. I, I'm not always the biggest fan of it because it creates conflict and, you know, there's, there, there's you know, you, you could have, it could be good or it could be bad. It could be good having more voices, but it could also lead to, you know, a, a stalemate where you don't know what to do and there's paralysis by analysis. I don't know if that's the answer, but, you know, I, 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 I'm so ambivalent toward this. If you fired Stan, I'd be like, yeah, you know what, it's, it's probably time. You keep him, you'd be like, yeah, you know what, I can justify that too. You hire up uh, someone to oversee him, yeah, I can justify that too. You can justify almost anything with this team right now, the, with, with the situation they're in. You, could, you can bend the bend and twist the facts any way you like. You could talk about the injuries and you could justify that maybe they would've been better this year. You could talk about how all the, the cat mismanagement and say, well, that's Stan Bowman's fault. I mean, you, you can look at this from so many different angles and you'd be right. So I don't know what the answer is here. And I don't know who's the person to make that decision.
1: <laughs> A two-year-old just walked into the room. <laughs> Hi. If this was on video, this you have to know what we're doing. (laughs) Hey, kiddo,
2: you got any thoughts on Stan? (laughs) (laughs) This is already the most intelligent hockey conversation we've had. Come get her. (laughs) 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 If we had the video, it'd be definitely like that kid walking in here with the. uh, Oh yeah. that, that's it? what everyone. Hey, we're we're all working from home okay. these days, man. Nothing you can do about that. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> she wants a podcast.
1: <laughs> um, just give me a moment here. Hey, Maeve, we, we, can Daddy do this and then we'll play, okay? <laughs> she came up here, play yeah. Come on, Mave. No. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Mave, do you have any thoughts? Just okay, Eddie. Please. Um. <laughs> <Give> me-
2: <laughs> so yeah. But- <laughs> See, this is why I have my kids locked in the basement playing Mario Kart right now. <laughs> the, the the trick is to uh, buy expensive things that you can't really afford just to distract them. But um. But no. The, the, the- <laughs> I don't know what the answer is here. I I I wrote myself in circles the other day because I don't know whether Stan Bowman should have his job or not yet. I can justify it, and I can justify firing him, and I'm really not all that passionate about it either way. It's just, this is the reality they're in, and I don't know, this isn't like a coaching situation where you can say, well, Gerard Gallant's out there, Peter Laviolette's out there, um, Bruce Boudreaux's out there. Who's the next great GM? I mean, who's available right now that's going to do a better job than Stan Bowman? This is a different kind of situation. Yeah, no, I, I'm back. <laughs> um yeah
1: I I I don't I I guess it's it came to a point where they had a decision between the coach and the GM and I I feel like if you full fired Joel Quinville and Stan Bowman at the same time that would have made a lot of sense you know like it it wouldn't you know after you if you've done it after that season it makes sense um you knew that coming into a season you're not going to likely fire a GM during a season it was going to be the coach or, or not and then um, you know, then next season goes and, and they don't make the playoffs under Jeremy Carleton and uh, Stan, Stan remains. And, yeah, none of this is surprising at this point. They obviously have a lot of confidence in Stan Bowman. And, yeah, um, I don't know if it makes more sense to put people in between or uh, making different decisions. It's just, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you know, we obviously hear it a lot from fans and just how frustrated they are. And it, it seems like they keep on going down the same road. And we we've seen the message change a little bit where even this year, they, they, I mean, they, uh, some of it's obviously impacted by injuries, but this wasn't, this wasn't supposed to be the course this year. This, they went out last summer and spent money, and know, and, and I feel like we talk about this every time, but the, 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 the objective this season was to make the playoffs and, uh, they thought they could maybe do it with ease. And, and we certainly sort of bought into that and, um, you know, it didn't happen and, and they're going to likely miss the playoffs if if the season returns. And, um, and, and it feels like the message is swayed to more of, uh, you know, we're going to try to get great again. And, um, so it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's an easy, easy path to that. Cause you, yes, you want high end players and uh, the more draft picks and prospects you get, but, uh, it's uh, it's it's complicated too. Usually, it's 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 adding in a lot of different ways. And now the Blackhawks have a lot of term, and um, it, it. I think this off season is going to be difficult, especially with the cap likely not going to you know rise up from what it what it's been. And uh, you you're already figuring out a way to how to pay the Kubelik and uh, strom and a goalie if that's Crawford, whomever. Well, and well, let me let me ask you this.
2: Team. Let me ask you this. Do you see any way that you know, assuming the 2019-20 season is over and they don't play the rest of the regular season, they don't play the playoffs, which I think is by far the likeliest situation here. Do you think that if the cap, even if it's artificially capped at 81.5, that they negotiate in another round of compliance buyouts? Because that could be the Blackhawks' salvation. I mean, you can't expect these teams that are bracing every year for a raise in the in the cap to all of a sudden make it work with a flat cap. Do you think there's any chance we see any kind of buyout compliance anything like that that might be a saving grace for the Blackhawks here or is that just pie in the sky
1: yeah I I I have no idea I just I've been you know following Myrtle and some of those people who have been doing more of the finance stuff even Burnside and I haven't seen that that tossed out but um I I guess if that becomes a reality I think the the discussions between you know the owners and the GMs and all that I think it'll evolve to or how do we make this work because they're they're teams that um yeah if it stays now that they're you know, I'm sure they can figure out ways to stay within those, uh, those boundaries. But it's hard. And then you know, people are being told that you know, just a few, two, three, two It's crazy. Two or three weeks ago, the cap could go up to 88 million, and right, and everything, right. everything switched. So I, I don't think people started planning for that necessarily. But um, you know, if there's any chance the cap even decreases, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's gonna be a new world if there isn't a finish in the season and all that revenue. Uh, the league and the teams are banking on isn't there then you know uh, the numbers you can't make it teams, work so. I mean if the
2: cap goes down there are going to be a lot of teams that simply can't feel the team like yeah. they're going to have to do something whether it's rolling back you know you know I, I remember what was that for the twenty o uh, four lockout didn't like everybody take like an x percent pay cut but there are going to be teams out there that that can't make this work and can't feel the team if the cap stays flat or god forbid goes down yeah, no, that's, I think these
1: are all different things they're going to have to explore. Just It's uh, it's just not realistic or fair if teams are playing, you know, in, in something that they weren't expecting or, um, you know, I, I think anything less, I, I think if these, you know, ultimately if, if the ceiling stays what it is, then... I, I think there's some gymnastics for some teams to to, to do, but I I think that at the end of the day that's probably fair. Anything anything lower than yeah the rules have to change and there has to be something that benefits the teams and allows them a little bit more flexibility. Um, but yeah, even now you know I, I wrote uh, you know earlier this week I wrote kind of the checklist for what what I think Stan Bowman uh, and the Blackhawks need to do, and, and it starts with I think I think you know with Kubalik at least when you're talking about the roster I think you need to decide what his cap hit is because uh, he's the priority he's the 30 goal scorer and um he's the guy that you probably want around the, the most and you know and then and then from there you can kind of figure out dylan strome and and the goalie and, and the rest of your roster um and, and then figure out buyouts and and if, if any of those things there are things you need to go go down go down the road with um and you know i i've been reading a little bit more and more about uh about this draft and in the blackhawks you know uh, you know, I, I think they have the ninth worst points percentage right now, so going to likely get a top ten pick, and it sounds like a pretty stacked draft. It doesn't mean that they'll, you know, if they're if they're picking in that lower part of the top ten, it doesn't mean someone's ready next season. But um, you know, the fact that Blackhawks will have another top ten pick and you know another person to add to that cupboard, and um, how long, you know, I, I guess what what's realistic, you know, I, uh, how soon can this turn if that's if the plan is the Blackhawks to be great again you know what what's realistic if if Stan Bowman's the GM Jeremy Carlton's the coach like what uh, you know who the roster is you know sort of the contracts what what do you see as it's realistic when this thing can can you know maybe get right again
2: well, I mean, a lot of that's going to depend on the older guys. I think the younger guys are on the right progression. I think you know Debrinkit, He had a down year this year, but we know that that, that shooting percentage will go back up. He'll be a thirty goal guy again. Kubalik's a thirty goal guy. Um, I, I I'm I'm sold on Kirby Doc. I know he didn't put up huge numbers, but he has that all around game. He's going to have a, a Taves like or sod like impact on most games when he really comes into his own. Uh, Boquist is farther along than I thought. I, I there there all these a couple. It's a couple of years. Uh, before those guys are really ready to become superstars. Now the question is, what is Jonathan Taze who turns 32 in a, uh, next month, going to look like at that point? What is Patrick Kane? Patrick Kane will probably be fine. What will Duncan Keith look like at 38? What's Corey Crawford or whatever your goaltender situation going to look like? What are the, the older Blackhawks going to look like in two or three years when all these young guys are ready to become superstars? That's the big question because it is going to take another year or two for all these guys to come in, for Ian Mitchell to get his feet wet, for all these guys to become real, true NHL players, um, what are the older guys going to look like? Because that's going to be the deciding factor, because Kane, Taves, Keith, they're all here for three more years. They need to be the ones that stay somehow on top of their game long enough for the kids to catch up.
1: As far was looking through uh, natural stat trick today, just kind of bored and, and going through numbers. and. This team, you know, when I, and I, you know, the Brinkett's going to bounce back, Strome, and all these guys are going to be fine, and Taves, you know, has plenty of skill. I think it still comes down to the defense, and, and part of it's, you know, puck possession, but, you know, when you look at the numbers, the Blackhawks, the number of people had, you know, a Corsi against per 60 minutes and scoring chances against per 60 minutes. I mean, the Blackhawks have numerous players, forwards and defensemen Aaron and, um, you know, in the lower part of the league, you know, among among the 20 worst players in the league, you know, um, you know, Taves, Taves has been on the ice for more chances, I guess, than, than ever in his career. And like, it's of that's there, too, where I I don't think offensively, this team's ever going to have an issue. I, I think they can score a lot of goals, and, and maybe you can win games like that. But, you know, the high danger chances and the scoring chances, all those things haven't improved, um, you know, from Quinville to Colleton. So it, it's, Maybe Mitchell and guys that are, you know, guys that move the puck and even Carlson, you know, Carlson, I I think came in and did a pretty good job of, you know, just getting them out of the zone. And some of that's, you know, some of that's just not even defending. It's just, you know, being able to exit and, and get the puck down the ice. But I'm still curious at how this team evolves defensively and how we can get better. Cause I, I, I look at some of those players and, you know, I, I think the Brinkett, uh, maybe he gets more defense reliable, but he's never going to be obviously a host of type or, um, you know, I think Strom has uh, some limitations to, um, you know, I just, I wonder if, if the Blackhawks can be that much of a two way team or maybe it's just driving more offense, but I, I think some of those questions kind of still exist for me and how does a team, you um, because I don't think you can be at the bottom of the league in a lot of these categories as they have now if you know for three or four years and um, things get better then they need to figure out ways to um, and now that you take away you know the two goalie system which sort of props you up for a while this year you know that uh, you know having Leonard and Crawford like how, how did you know maybe Delia comes in and, and he's great but um, yeah I'm sort of I'm sort of skeptical too to see how that how that evolves, and if they can get back on track to be that type of team with this, when you're looking at largely these same players coming back.
2: Well, that's going to depend on Jeremy Carlton, isn't it? That's going to be his legacy here. That's going to be the impact he has or doesn't have, whether he's here for the long haul or if he's fired next year, is can he make this team not suck defensively? That's his job. He was brought in ostensibly to make them better defensively, and they've only gotten worse as a team. Now, a lot of that is personnel issues, and you can understand some of that. But this will be his third year coming up, his second full year, and his third almost full year. He needs to figure out how to get this, how to, how to maximize the team he has. He's got to be about player development. All those young guys have to get better. It's got to be finding the right system, and they're always constantly tweaking this system of his. They haven't quite worked it out yet. I mean, not everybody is Barry Trotz. I get that. But Barry Trotz was able to come in to the fundamentally worst defensive team in the league, the New York Islanders, and the next year made them the best. You can do it. The right coaching style, the right coaching system, can fix this, and that's what Jeremy Carlton has to do. And, and you know, it, it's no more you know new guy getting his feet wet. This will be his third year in the NHL. There's no more excuses. The training wheels are off. He has to make this team better defensively, or he's not going to have a job much longer.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, the reality was that there were going to be some learning curves with him. And I, you know, the Blackhawks didn't really do him any favors last year when he brought him in and said this is still a playoff team, but. Right, uh, and I and I think we've seen some of you know learning from his mistakes, and um, certainly being able to you know he he hasn't been too stubborn to to move on from things. So uh, you would think you'd see an evolution in 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 year three, and you know power play or the defense or or just um, I think you have like a sample size now even this season of who you know, who works with whom best, you know, if it's, you know, Mod and Seabrook, obviously wasn't working. And, and I think you see some pairings now because there, there were spurts this season where the analytics and, you know, just, just watching them play, they seem like they, they, they knew what they were doing and defensively they were better it just, um, and obviously there I feel like for more of the season though, we, we saw those inconsistencies and ups and downs and, and, and sort of, you know, just having those same mistakes. And, um, yeah, I, uh, if everyone's coming back, then you know expectations sort of change too. Where, um, yeah, I I guess there there isn't as much you know understanding of of, of those mistakes and those things happening over time. Where, uh, in year three, that it it just it's um, you know to not come out of the gate as much as they expected this year had to be uh, surprising the organization and even Carlton where there was so much faith put in that you know having a full training camp that. Um, you know, expectations are just going to be at a so much higher level next year, you know, having that training camp again and um, sort of, you know, thinking that this team probably learns from its m- mistakes.
2: All right. Let's 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 enough about the future. The future is depressing. Let's talk about the past. The past is fun. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, C- uh, NBC, I still call them CSN sometimes. NBC, NBC Sports <laughs> Chicago has been airing some of the 2010 uh Playoff run now, only the wins, which is interesting. I thought they would just play all the games. we got a lot of time to kill. Um, but last night, uh, Saturday night, was the uh, probably the defining moment in modern Blackhawks history, Game 5 against the Predators in 2010, when uh, Marion Hossa took a five-minute boarding major with about a minute to go, down a goal. Patrick Kane scored a shorthanded goal with about 13 seconds left, and then Hossa scored immediately out of the box in overtime to win it, uh, sliding and spinning on his knees, a, an iconic image. <laughs> Um, it's been fun to kind of watch this. I'm, I'm looking forward more to the 20. I think you, you and I started the same day. We've been on this beat since the first day of training camp in 2013, that January. Um, 2010, I was the sports editor of the Post Tribune in Northwest Indiana. I had a little TV in my office, and I was just so excited that people around me wanted to talk about hockey. It was fun to see, like, everybody getting into the sport again. So I remember watching that kind of as a, a bemused bystander. I wasn't a Hawks fan, but I was. I wanted them to keep winning because I wanted people to keep caring about hockey selfishly. Uh, what were you doing? Do you remember any of that 2010 one? I know you weren't a big hockey guy back then.
1: I don't even – i. I, I... I remember watching maybe a game. Um, I don't even know if I watched the Stanley Cup, to be honest with you. I mean, that's how far <laughs> my uh, my interest in hockey's changed. For uh, 2010, I was covering high school and colleges for ESPN Chicago. And um, who knows? I may have been covering high school basketball or college basketball. Oh, uh, well, no, that been, would have been, been the spring. So who knows what I've been doing. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember much, and it's it's been kind of interesting that you know I've, I've learned uh you know just uh, from being on the beat reading your book and uh you know going through these games and it's fun it was fun watching even twitter last night where people are uh you know kind of reliving these moments and, and how how big those moments were and how special to a lot of fans they were at the time and um yeah it's it's been it's been fun to, to kind of go through this almost for the first time for myself a little bit where i i didn't uh, i didn't see a lot of these games you know live when they occurred and um, what, uh, I know for you just with, with the book that you, your, your knowledge of this whole, the whole season kind of expanded.
2: Yeah, no, that was the, that was the most fun for me. I mean, about more than half the book is about the run up to that 2010 cup, because that's what was interesting to me. Cause I didn't cover it. 2013 reliving 13 and 15 was less interesting to me. So it was really fun to kind of, to go, like I said, I, I watched, but I watched it the same way I would have watched if the Bruins had won or the, uh, you know, Avalanche had won, whoever, I was just excited that people were watching hockey. Um, so it it was really fun to kind of go back and like get into Marion. Like I talked to Marion Hosta for a while about that 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 not just that game, but in the context of that season. Remember the, the previous two years he had become this mercenary. He went to uh, he went to Pittsburgh and then at the trade deadline and then lost to the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup final, and then he went and signed with the Red Wings and lost to Pittsburgh in the Stanley Cup final. And then he went and signed with the Blackhawks and he was getting this reputation as either like a, a jinx or just the guy who couldn't win the big one. Um, and <laughs> yeah. he 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 was this like this this crafty veteran guy who comes into this team of kids, and he really kind of remolded the team. Like he was the Red Wings guy who came in and, and really kind of in, and and whipped everybody into shape and changed the whole perplexion of the team. But you know he's sitting in that penalty box going, oh my God, I fucked up, and I, I, I this is you know, Marion Hosa doesn't take boarding penalties. He's like the most disciplined guy out there. And he's like sitting there going, I, what am I supposed to do? I can't believe I did this. And so for him to score, I mean, everything about that game was amazing in that season. Um, I, I kind of go back and forth all the time with people on Twitter about this, whether that game or that series in that game or the 2013 Red Wings series is really the defining moment of this era of Blackhawks hockey because if – if, doesn't, if, if Kane doesn't score that shorthanded goal and Hosa the winner and they lose that series, do they just become another team? I don't know. But if they lost to the Red Wings in 2013 after that amazing 21-0-3 start and all that, but after two straight first-round losses, if they went first-round loss, first-round loss, second-round loss, they were going to make changes. That was at the height of the friction between Stan and Joel. Someone was going to get fired if they lost that game, they lost that series. Uh, They were going to make changes in personnel. They were going to blow up the core back when you could do something like that because the contracts weren't onerous yet. Um, if they had lost that series, they I, in, I am convinced they become One Cup Wonders, just one of those teams that spikes a win and then just is pretty good the rest of the time. They don't become the team of the decade the way they did. So I go back and forth on what's the most important series, what's the defining series, but you really can't go wrong because those are the two. That's the, the That one, and then in 2015, I guess it would be the Anaheim series where it just kind of showed that. Unflappable, unkillable nature these guys had. It was just this intangible quality that no matter what the situation was, you just kind of thought they were going to pull it out their ass anyway because they were just so talented and so strong of will. And, uh, you know, that was a rare, rare team. And I know that it sucks watching this team be bad now and not have that anymore. But man, Hawks fans had it so good for so long that any other fan base would give their right arm for.
1: Yeah. You know, it's those moments of adversity that made, uh, I think all these cup runs special for those teams. And, you know, I even think of the, the national early in the national series, with you know, Scott Darling and, yeah. um, yeah, just the moments where it, it was sort of things were in doubt for a second, you know, just, um, yeah, I, it's hard to say like, I, I, you know, without, without the national win, I don't, you know, I don't think it leads to, you don't think the other the next two happen. So the, for the fact that it came first and, um, yeah, I, you know, that Detroit series just yeah, I remember having a story written basically that they were done in um I oh, wonder yeah. if I still have that saved but you know just what that meant I wish I, I I, I remember I the-
2: I wrote it I wrote it during the second intermission of game 6 in Detroit well, right when they were down a goal, and it was a uh, uh, Corey Crawford gave up that horrible soft like soft goal from like a hundred feet out, and it was like, oh my god, the Corey Crawford is soft narrative is going to come back again. It was like you're writing this dirge on this whole franchise, and and then I think it was who scored like a minute into the third period, and it's like, oh well, control all, control a delete. <laughs> yeah, I
1: remember seeing Stan Bowman in the. uh, Downstairs because a lot of those games we we'd go downstairs to the press room and for the third period and watch and I remember uh, Stan Bowman using waiting to use a bathroom waiting in line with a bunch of people in the public just waiting to use a bathroom and it was between the periods and it was just like <laughs> all this was you know on the line and unfortunately this man has to sit or stand here with all these people and uh, it was sort of my thought that went through my head but yeah that that was that I it was one of those moments where they they win that series and it's like ah oh, this is, they're probably gonna do it and. Yeah, from you know, everyone says that there was just the belief when that Nashville game happened that things, uh, things were going to go their way the rest of the way. And um, yeah, it's uh, yeah for anyone who hasn't read your book, and I, I assume a lot of Hawks fans have now. It's uh, it's, it's buy a great my little, book little, really about, <laughs> yes. There you go. Um, uh,
2: I, I, I always got the, the, I could sum up that entire that entire era of Blackhawks hockey. I can sum it up in one one thing, which was uh, in in Game Seven of that Detroit series in 2013 when Jomerson scored the the winning goal and had it taken away by a nonsense penalty on Brandon Saad back in center ice. Um, and <laughs> Jomerson came into the locker room and he slammed his stick onto his, on, the, on the the locker room stall. You could see it for two years until they re- replaced all those seats. You could see the nick in it from where he, he said he wanted to keep it because he wanted to be constantly reminded of it. Um, and then Jonathan Taves stood up. I had three different players tell me this that night. That Taves stood up in the middle of the third intermission. The overtime management said, "Fuck it, we'll beat them three-one in overtime." And That's all he said. <laughs> I just that that attitude, that just like that defiance, that nothing's going to stop me. Attitude that that kind of summed up that team to me in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, um, yeah. I know it's it's. I know a lot of people are
1: frustrated, and, and it's not our job to make people optimistic, but there. It's, it's funny John Greenberg just did a a fan survey and I know one of the questions was basically blowing up the team and uh, and I, I think a lot of people answer that way and I, I just I don't see it I, I still see you know when I when I see what Doc is and what he can become and even you know Boku is starting to put up some points and I think Mitchell is the real deal um I think there's a path for this team still it just it's there there's so little room for error and um, you know, it's it's you know whether they find someone else in Europe, and I, I think there are a couple of players in Europe that can be. Um, I don't know if they're Panera Panarin, Impact players, but guys who can step in, and there there's ways to make this team better. And um, yeah. I'm I'm, and that, I'm curious and that, just...
2: that that core, that heart, that 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 attitude is still there. You still have Kane, you still have Taze, you still have Keith, you have Seabrook, you have these guys who've done it before. And if you if you could just get them there. They can kind of pull you through that. I think. I think that in hockey, more than any other sport, experience in the playoffs matters, and these guys still have it, even if it's been a while.
1: And, and that's and that's the part where where you still see Kane and Taves and, and Keith kind of playing at this uh, at a pretty high level still. And I and I don't think that lasts. You know, I I um, you know it, it does fall off pretty quickly for a lot of players. I mean, we've seen that with you know, guys we've covered in recent years with Sharp and. Um, you know, HOSA had some down years, and um, it just, it's, I I think the window for at least those players is in a couple of years, where I I think the Blackhawks have other issues, when those guys start declining, where where certainly you have other players who can lift them up, but I I think it just, it brings on a new set of, set of issues, so I I think for Cannon Taves, and those, you know, Keith and Seabrook, you know, I think they're still pointing to, uh, to now, and, and, um, and I think they they still believe that's possible. So I, I'm I'm curious, you know, Stan Bowman obviously uh, has the faith, and from from John McDonough and Rocky Words. So now um, I, I think this off season, it's uh, yeah, I think there, there's a lot in his hands still that where this team can go, and some some big decisions to make with you know whether it's the buyouts and those contracts, and um, he just he needs things to be on point for the Blackhawks. Uh, I think they have a real chance of contending here in the in the near future.
2: That's assuming there is hockey in the near future. I hope there is. That's <laughs> yeah, true too. It's, well, uh, I feel that's the uh, thing. Scott, it's
1: like it just we've, we we have so yeah. Right now, we're, it's easy to write stories because you you feel like the season just ended or it may come yeah. back or. But yeah, I guess fast forward. to. Three well, we're, still, we're still now. writing stuff.
2: We've got, we, we got things in the works. We've got some fun stuff in the works. Uh, I'm assuming we're releasing this Monday morning. So go read my mailbag in which I uh, assigned, I think, 30 Harry Potter characters to various Blackhawks <laughs> and Blackhawks adjacent people um, because that's the point of the season we've reached now. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep it busy. And uh, I'm sure we'll have some more fun podcasts about uh, maybe 2013 and 2015 where we can talk some stuff over and uh, we'll find ways to keep you entertained.
1: Yeah, and uh, maybe Maeve and I will have a, a podcast here in the future, just uh, there you father, go, father-daughter. She's daughter combo already combo.
2: more insightful than either of us. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, keep us updated on the Nintendo Switch and how, uh, how your games <laughs> progress.
2: I'm going to save the world through Dr. Mario. You'll see.
1: <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I guess we'll actually talk again. Uh, this is the only time we actually talk, usually it's through Slack or email or whatever, so we'll, uh, we'll speak again next
0: week.
2: All right, man. Uh, stay safe, stay indoors, and uh, see you next time.
0: Won't you let me try?